This is Media Camp with Sergey Ross in episode number 67, and today we are going to talk. We keep talking about content, and we're gonna go into LinkedIn. How do you create engagement posts on LinkedIn? Get super high engagement, and I promise you, this is not a hack. This is actually takes real work, but when you do it, you're gonna get great results. So we are talking to Katie Mitchell. She's a director of marketing from DC. She previously worked at a company called Everify, an education tech company, and she was a digital marketing instructor at Digital Assembly. Katie's really interesting personality because she relatively recently started posting on LinkedIn and started getting incredible engagement on her posts. And you will see this is not an accident because we are talk about we talk about the whole process of how she makes the post, how does she come up with ideas, and the bar she sets for herself is extremely high, and that means that. Everybody, uh, everybody who follows Katie on LinkedIn gets a lot of value. So we're gonna go into that: how is she making really good posts on LinkedIn? What, did, how do you put in? The, why it's important to put in the work with no expectations? I think that's a really fundamental concept that I believe in as well. Uh, and general content marketing stuff like brand versus demand, um, we're gonna have a little bit of conversation around it. I think you're gonna really like it, Katie Mitchell. Here we go. Yeah, so I've been wanting to tell the story, but a lot of people have been coming to me asking me, you know, how did you snag that interview with Chris Walker? <laughs> I, I have been doing this for two weeks. How did you do that? Um, and it's funny because I didn't do actually anything at all. So I've been going to Demand Gen Live for six weeks, right? I, I saw him post about it, right, when I started posting on LinkedIn. And I, you know, wanted to check it out. And I love marketing and I love the opportunity to just, you know, have a, you know, session where I can right. learn and meet other marketers. So I just started going and, you know, a few sessions in started meeting friends, friends saw the same faces there over and over and just really enjoyed it. It was at seven 30 at night. I would throw my kids into bed, you know, run downstairs um, and turn on the, grab a glass of wine and just sort it's of a commitment, gert, you know, nerd out on, on, on marketing for a little bit for an hour or so, but it was, it was great because Chris is also just a great guy. Right. Um, you know, and, and does really give back, not just on LinkedIn, but, you know, he does really provide value in that session. Um, and I was really surprised because there's only about 30 or 50 marketers that go. And you would just think, you know, if this person that is, you know, he's really successful, right? He's building his agency. They're growing like, you know, bananas. Yeah. Um, and so it's just a really great opportunity. So I'm surprised that I haven't seen more, more marketers there given his following. Um, and that's an opportunity, I think, for sure. Um, so I started going and then a few weeks in, he, he asked, you know, the, the three, you know, 30 or so people on if one person next week would, you know, want to share something. And right. I DM'd him after the session and explained, Hey, I'm willing to share some work I'm doing with a, a client friend of mine that we've been sort of modeling some of the stuff that you've been doing on LinkedIn. Um, I don't really have a ton of results for her yet. Um, and in that week between when I DM'd him and the next session is when really my activity on LinkedIn started to gain some traction. And, you know, that's when he had noticed and he had asked me on the session to just share with the group. Right. And so I did. I just I had nothing expected, nothing in return. I just wanted to share with the group what I was doing. Um, and that was it. Right. And so after that, I logged off, did my own thing. And then a few days later, Angelica from his team reached out to me and said, Hey, do you mind if we can use that clip and, uh, on their fine labs page? And I said, sure. Do you mind if I use it also? Right. So I think what this does, it just, it teaches us a lesson, right? Because I didn't have, I didn't ask for anything and I didn't go into anything. I didn't start going to the demand gen live, hoping that I was going to get an interview out of it. Right. I just 
worked hard and I was curious and I was hungry and I was trying to be a better marketer. And sometimes you don't really have to raise your hand to get something good. And sometimes good things happen to people that just work hard. And so I think something that I want to be able to tell marketers and just remind people of, there's all sorts of people on LinkedIn, you know, trying to game the system or trying to, you know, DM and, you know, put, um, comment with, you know, people's names or influencers names to boost their own posts, right? None of that works, right? But what does work is just being hungry and being, you know, persistent in terms of your own learning um, and, and putting in the time. And so I think that was just a message that I wanted to get across that I thought might inspire some people to just, you know, keep doing what they're doing and do what you know is right. <clears throat> Which what's interesting about it, Katie, is that uh, I was getting ready for this interview, and um, my first question, my first question that I that I wanted to ask you was, talk about putting in the work with no expectations, which you just <laughs> described, <laughs> because I think I think honestly, and this is probably the most important thing. It's your mindset of not trying to find a shortcut, because mm -hmm. I think when we spoke with you before the interview, you said, "Oh, I'm just so excited to join this group of people at 7:30," and you were not thinking talking it from a perspective, oh, I'm just going to gain X number of followers because I was there and I can build this partnerships that will result in something else in the future. You were just wanted to chat with these people. There was no expectation um, behind that versus I know a lot of people and I did the same thing three years ago where I was looking for, oh, what's the quickest way to get to X? And that usually never works. I mean, sometimes it might, but it actually is not real. It's not like your long-term thing. And uh, I feel like, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes it's luck. I know some people say it's the universe, but I think when you do the, you actually do the work, then it, funny things happen, right? Yeah. I think you have to have the right product, right? Or the right skills or whatever you're sharing has to resonate. You have to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and then you have to have confidence. But if you don't work really hard, those things won't be amplified right? You, you'll do them, but they won't, you won't grow as fast. You won't learn as quickly if you, if you don't put in the work. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, just, uh, just learning. I, I mean, I see, um, I see, uh, Dave Gerhardt has his group in Facebook and sometimes I see people posting at like odd hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. And I'm like, well, these people are actually really interested <laughs> in marketing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do, do you want to talk about Katie a little bit about, um, your brand versus demand before we jump into LinkedIn? Cause I think this was a big point that you wanted to unpack a little bit. Yeah. So I, I post a lot about brand versus demand. I think it's something that, um, marketers just don't understand the impact that a brand can have on demand. And so I wrote about this today, actually on LinkedIn, um, explaining, you know, your process of when you look through the LinkedIn feed, what you see, right? And you see a person's name and then you see the content that they have to mm -hmm. offer. And both the person's name, which is their brand and the content plays into your decision on whether or not you're going to read that post, right? And that's exactly the same on LinkedIn as it is for a product at the grocery store or a software as a service product, right? It, it works the same way. Yet a lot of companies don't prioritize brand and understand the impact that it can have on, on that, buyer, that buyer behavior. So that's right. something that I, I'm especially passionate about. I think it's something that 
you know, people are starting to realize more and more, um, you know, this whole conversation around MQLs and gated content and all of that, right? There's a, there's a way to look at that from the metric side, which is it's not getting us what we want. We're turning away buyers, right? But at the end of the day, it's just not focused on brand. It's, it's just driving that d demand um, really hard and <laughs> going right at, you know, going right. The goal there is just to make, you know, to get as many people as possible to fill out a form, but you're not doing, a, you know, if they're not consuming your content, they're not learning about your brand, right? And so that's a huge opportunity for companies, I think, to um, to reprioritize. And the pendulum is starting to swing back in the other direction from um, performance marketing and brand. And I think they're so much more intertwined than people realize. What's interesting, I find, is a lot of marketers, they understand how to do it. They understand it. They've seen what good marketing is. But there's something interesting happens the moment they start building the campaign and they when they're before they ship it they start creating creating campaigns and co writing copy or creating ads that they that they themselves would never actually click on so there's this shift that happens and i i'm really fascinated by it i'm curious i mean of course there's the targets and all of those things um that they have to hit but there's this shift where a person would submit or would have an email that they wrote and i know for a fact that if we reverse the roles they would never open it Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that and that's because of corporate expectations and because a lot of marketers are, you know, treated almost as a, a service function, right? Where sales, I want this, you know, CEO wants this X, Y, Z, and they just sort of throw everything on the marketer and say, get it out there versus a marketer being able to push back and say, let's think about that. Would, I, would, would someone actually open that email? Would they click that email? Right? And that's, that's the value that a marketer brings to the table. Yet the way that we're working in some of these sales-driven organizations is that we don't have the opportunity to voice that and our campaigns can't be as successful sometimes. So it's just a good thing to keep in mind, right? It's not just about, yeah. um, you know, the email or the offer, right? Sometimes we have to take a step back and think, you know, would that even be the right thing to do? Definitely. What do you think about <clears throat> finding the balance between brand and demand? Um, because I mean, like you said, there are so many companies that are so demand gen driven uh, that they don't even they don't they don't even consider. Especially, I know a small companies they don't even consider brand. They like they what I've heard a lot of founders would say we are performance driven marketing. Like we don't yeah. we just do PPC or. Uh, you know, all, all, all the paid campaigns, that's what they do. And uh, how do you think that we could find the better balance? I think when you think about it, right, if everyone's doing PPC and everyone's just doing performance marketing, then what's going to make you click on company A's ad versus company B's ad, right? And so that's brand. And so if you start framing it like that and start educating your company and educating your colleagues on what that means, then they can start to understand it a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I think Dave Gerhardt just recently talked about this actually, which is, mm -hmm. um, you know, SaaS companies haven't differentiated on brand. They all sort of look vanilla. They all look the same. And if you just differentiate on brand, you'll have better performance, right? So it's yep. not, you know, it's not rocket science. You just have to figure out how you can be different. Um, some people, some companies are trying to do that within the performance channels. Um, but I think the companies that are having a 
better time doing that or having an easier time doing that, that or differentiating on brand itself before they even think about getting to the performance channels. One of the things that I find it's difficult sometimes, uh, especially selling this whole concept into companies is the measurement. Uh, very difficult to measure brand, obviously, but let's say if we look at the playbook that Chris Walker talks a lot about is where you use your content and you distribute it on paid social platforms, for example. Um, sometimes I find it's a little bit difficult to measure um, to measure it, let's say you measure it by consumption, right? You measure time spent on page in Google Analytics, you measure how many people have viewed the video. That's good. I want, I'm curious if there are any other things that we should be considering or should be factoring in if we are doing that type of model. Yeah, this is, I mean, definitely not my 100% wheelhouse. I follow Chris Walker a lot for these learnings myself. Um, you know, he's one of the people that, you know, showed me trending revenue is a great way to look at it. Um, right. Not necessarily, not, not just focused on leads, right? I think that's where companies uh, get stuck because mm -hmm. they need those leads and they're measured on those leads. Whereas does it really matter if all the leads that you're generating are not going to turn into opportunities, not going to close, turn into close one deals. So I think a lot of it is just common sense, right? And yeah. working on, you know, there's a reason that the ad agencies of the Mad Men era, right? <laughs> there wasn't a lot of data back then. <laughs> it was, not at all. And creative agent, big creative agencies, they, they had huge successes. They were able to do such amazing work. And they didn't have nearly the amount of data and technology that we have today. They were just very creative people that understood how people made purchasing decisions, paid attention, engaged with content, engaged with ads, and they were able to leverage that effectively. And so I think there's the pendulum, when I say this pendulum is swinging back, I think it's swinging back that way. And that marketers that can be more, um, almost traditional marketers like yeah. like admin era are having a lot of success because they're still smart people they still understand how to how to write compelling messages and they're not letting the data get in their way and it's harder to learn it's actually harder to learn good copy and uh psychology principles versus how to do a ppc campaign exactly 100 percent agree yeah. Let's talk about uh, strategy versus execution, because I know this was uh, another point that you brought up, which was interesting, where you said, you, like, you're obviously, you know, if you're a lead in a marketing team, you want to, you want to, you, you're going to be doing a strategy, but it's also that importance of having, doing something yourself, like executing something your, uh, yourself, where you always keep a pulse on, um, like, being better as a marketer, but also how things are actually working out, not just having a high level perspective on everything. Yeah, I think the main reason that that's important right now is because technology is changing so quickly. So whereas 10 years ago, you could, you know, or maybe 20 years ago, I don't know, before mm -hmm. <laughs> computing and, yes. and iPhones and everything just blew up, you could, you know, there was a general mix of channels and you know different ways you could access your audience direct mail right all these things that they just weren't changing that quickly and so as a manager as a leader you could say oh i did that five years ago i did that 10 years ago so i'm good right i can just you know allocate the budget and my team's going to go do that and they're going to report back 
But if you really want to push back on your team and you really want to help your team grow and take advantage of the white space and be early to channels or to be able to feel channels changing and, and get on top of that and be able to preempt some of the other parts of the market, you have to know what's going on at a very deep level and you have to be really connected to not only the execution on your team but more importantly how the technology and how um, platforms and channels are changing and so i think what happens is when people um, you know, hire maybe a cmo or a vp into the company that just doesn't want to stay as connected they, they lose out on those opportunities because they don't have the people coaching their team that are aware and that are uh, you know, deeply questioning the behaviors that you're doing as a company. Right? A, lot of, a lot of companies that could be really successful aren't because they just don't know where to shift and how to change and how to say, we've been doing this for five years, but next year it's just not gonna work as well. And maybe we should just completely abandon that channel, right? Maybe our, our email program, because email behaviors are changing so much, maybe we shouldn't put so much energy and emphasis on decreasing our unsubscribes and cleaning our email program and building our nurtures. Maybe instead we should just completely jump over to social or you know think about, just think right. about this in a different way, right? And so, um, you know, and just to, to, I guess, go more, a little bit more on the point of, of being early to channels, which I think is, is very important right now in digital marketing and, and, and marketing in general. It's not only just being early to a channel. It's also being able to anticipate when existing channels change. Right? And we're talking more on, this is now in more performance marketing, right? We're not even talking about yeah. brand. But so and a great example of that is, you know, SEO, right? SEO changes so quickly. Google will make changes. So your entire strategy can sort of change if, um, if certain yeah. things happen within Google. And so yeah, I think it's such a great point, such a great point that you bring up where I haven't thought about it from this perspective, but um, what, how I see it, what you just described is that when you have a marketing leader, let's say you have a CMO and then they build a strategy and what they normally do, what I've heard from a lot of leaders is they say, oh, I just hire people smarter than myself. Makes sense. That's all good and great. And then they hire all these people. However, because they're not practitioners themselves or they don't really have that specific, very good understanding, in-depth understanding of technology, they're not able to look at the strategy from a radically different perspective uh, because of the how the landscape is changing. And so they are over relying on the experienced team members who are really good at what they do, but they are not strategists. They are specifically focused on the one narrow thing. And that means that the whole strategy will be compromised. Well, and that, that's the whole, I guess that's the whole crux of the, the issue, right? Is that strategy and execution are so intertwined. So you can't be an effective strategist unless you understand the execution. And I think for marketers, that's what's different than in a lot of other industries where you can sort of know the strategy and then you have a lot of practitioners going and working on it. In marketing, it's different. You, you know, you, that, that, that technology and the change and behavior and all of that feeds into the strategy. So there's no way you can be an effective strategist without understanding the execution component. Gary V says, uh, action drives strategy. I actually believe that completely. Like you actually do it first and then you see the power of LinkedIn, which we will speak about next. And then you're like, wait, by the way, why are we doing, like you said, why are we doing all this unsubscribes activity? Let's do LinkedIn, for example, right? Right, right. So let's talk about LinkedIn. Uh, so you've been, uh, 
you, tell us a little bit about your activity on LinkedIn. You've been posting for not that long, but with amazing success, you have, I would say, quite a unique approach to how you come up with ideas and um, write a post around a specific insight that you think will resonate with an audience. Mm -hmm. Why I'm saying it's unique, I think it's a lot more in depth than a lot of other people. Uh, at least how you describe it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you started and then how this whole thing snowballed. Yeah, for sure. So I just started noticing my own behavior change. That was the first insight, right? So I figured out that I was spending more time on LinkedIn than I had been ever. And I asked myself, why? Why was I spending more time on LinkedIn? And I figured out that I was learning more, right? And so whereas social media and LinkedIn specifically used to be a platform where you know, similar to Twitter or other other platforms, you'd sort of share little pieces of information here and there. Um, people are starting to use it more as a blogging platform. So blog in 2010 is LinkedIn in 2020. But it's so much more powerful because in right. 2010, you had to get people to your blog. Today, you open LinkedIn and you write a blog post and you automatically have distribution. So it cuts that process in half because it's so much more powerful, right? And so if you start thinking about the platform in that way, you start to be able to create content that's much more valuable and that many people resonate with very quickly. And so I even noticed something about my behavior that I don't see a lot of people doing, right? Because I, I still see a lot of people that I like and, and I value and I learn from saying the same things over. Oh, they do. They do. Right? And so even people I really value and trust, you, you see them saying the same things over and over. And so I figured out an opportunity. And well, what if I do what they're doing, but instead of just posting the same thing over and over, I try really hard to, you know, have a really unique spin every time I post. And I'm going to post around similar topics. Right. But well, let me see if I can, you know, make it feel fresh, more fresh. And that, that's something that a lot of marketers struggle with generally, right, is, is keeping our content fresh and always having an interesting perspective um, and not just read, especially for companies, right, not just rinsing and repeating and rinsing and repeating the same few things over and over. And the, the really yes. effective content marketers are able to always take a different spin and a different perspective um, and tell a similar story in a different way with a different learning insight. And so that's what I started to do um, and really use it like it was my blog, right? And say, if I wasn't going to post this on my blog, I'm not going to post it on LinkedIn, right? And because back to that brand perception and right. understanding how people um, interact with your brand on LinkedIn, I knew that if I just started posting some, you know, meh stuff that people would read that and they would say, nah, I don't know if I'm going to read it next time. Yeah, right? There's a lot of those posts. Yeah. And so they start, you start tuning those people out, right? You just know, you read a few of their posts and you say, I'm not getting much from this. I don't, I'm not learning anything from this, you know? And again, right. everybody has a different way of consuming content. There, there's people, there's content out there for everyone. A lot of people that create content is not for me, but it might be for some, someone else. There's a woman that creates these, you know, really funny gifts. I'm not really into gifts, but she's had really big success on LinkedIn because people really love gifts, right? I'm not her target audience, but yeah. so just where you think about, you know, what is it that you have and that you can bring in a unique perspective on every time you post or, um, and even if you can't, right, just 
you know, some people do it really effectively where they talk about the same thing with a bit, bit of a different perspective. But I, I think the more opportunity can be had for people that can truly bring fresh content um, and content will win, right? Because no matter of all those different things and different shortcuts, the viral reach on LinkedIn is, is so amazing that yes. you don't really need, I, I put out really great content and then I have a hundred more followers. I don't do anything except put great content out and LinkedIn will serve that content to my you know, first degree connections, second degree connections. And that's how you gain a following base. So if you just focus on the content first, most of the other stuff will come. Now there's definitely additional things that I do um, on LinkedIn. To tell me, tell me about uh, your process of generating ideas. <clears throat> and then we'll talk about how you actually expand on it. Because I think yours is, as I said, like yours is super unique. It's in depth. Um, and you, you were explaining it really nicely when we chatted the other day. Yeah, I just, I'm constantly thinking. I love to learn. I love to think. Um, and I use either work that I'm working on, right, which is, you know, I was sitting at my computer working on my friend's website the other day you know, reading to myself and saying, a tip that I teach myself is, if I have to read this piece of copy more than once, then I need to rewrite the piece of copy. And it's, you know, not that's a lot of people will do that, but I, that's right. my practice. Whenever I write copy, I say, is my target audience gonna have to read this more than once? And so I said, hmm, I wonder if my audience would find that to be a helpful tip. Turns out it was my most popular <laughs> link post. I, I saw that, I saw that. Was, very surprised with because I was not sure, which also sort of talks about the importance of testing and continue to publish, right? But I, I wouldn't have published that unless I thought it was would truly help my audience, right? Mm -hmm. So um, using my work as my influence is, is a big one. But then I, you know, my, my Chick-fil-A post, which also did really well, um, you know, that was just something that I've always been thinking about. This right. concept of mental mapping and thinking of products sort of spontaneously, right? Mm -hmm. and, that's such a big piece of, of brand and explains a lot about consumer behavior, which I'm very passionate about. So, you know, I was able to, I was sitting on that idea. I jotted that idea down three weeks ago mm -hmm. and I, I didn't really have a great way to tell that story. And finally, when I was outside with my kids one day, I just said, Oh, I have a way to tell it now. Right. Yeah. So it's a combination of having a great idea and then having a really interesting way to tell it. And you can either do that, through a personal story, which is I find the easiest way, right? You just like you're talking to a friend um, and telling them a personal story about yourself. But stories don't always have to be personal. You can you can have another way to tell it. Um, so that was you know the way that I right. particularly. Do do you look at uh, actually speaking of personal stories? I once posted about how I bought a rice cooker on Amazon, and uh, I thought like nobody will care. It's like I don't even know why I'm push, uh, posting it. The one of the most popular posts I did on LinkedIn. A few people reposted it. I got like eight thousand views. I was like wow, like yeah. why? And I my point was you know you buy a rice cooker, and I had a thought, and I'm like I had a specific brand in mind. I didn't do any research, and I said well you imagine a lot of other marketers who worked in other brands of rice cookers and they didn't even have a chance because somebody won me eight years ago and it worked so well it's just like wow so like if, <laughs> some, some things are just so uh you know just, yeah just don't and person posted a couple of weeks ago about her daughter asking why everyone all the men were speaking on the phone um and she responded to her daughter i'm working to change that it just went viral right she got you know, fifty thousand views you think she just she was just was it had a no goal in mind, right? She just wanted to share that. Um, and that just goes to show that things that are emotional, things that resonate, things that don't have expectations up front 
tend to do the best, right? Uh, same Absolutely. example of my post about my son, you know, peeing all over the floor and the game, right? That was something that I, I pinged someone. I said, this post is going to do terribly. I still don't know what I'm doing all the time on LinkedIn. So, um, you know, they, <laughs> that post has been my most successful post at 25,000 views, right? Because um, it, it combined, you know, they were able to really empathize and understand and, and see a personal perspective. I, I mean, it was, yes, I, I saw that post. It wasn't marketing related, but, you know, for me as a consumer, somebody who follows you, what it uh, showed is, well, I, you know, like you want to know the personal side of you. Like I'm, you know, it's, it's great to know about, oh, here's how you write the copy. Here's how you do this and that. And here are all this valuable advice. But I think as humans, we want to know how are other people think, like who yeah. they really are, how they behave. And uh, that was a really interesting insight because I'm always curious, you get to learn a lot. I uh, wanted to invite one person on my podcast a while ago, and then I was like, yeah, it looks great, everything's amazing. And then I read one of his comments on LinkedIn, and in one comment, I was turned off and I just thought, no, not a chance. Yeah, yeah, no, that, and that's that's your brand, right? I mean, everything you do from what you post to how you comment, to how you interact, to how you respond to direct messages, it all impacts your brand and how people perceive you. And so um, it's important that you realize that and yeah, just uh, have a chance to share a personal side of you when you feel comfortable because that, you know, that really helps. I mean, Dave Gerhardt does it all the time. He shows his kids, right? And that's yeah. for me as a mom. That's a, one of the main reasons I, you know, want to follow Dave and, and appreciate what he's doing. I, I, you know, I'm in the the Patreon group too, and you know, yeah. he posted a video the other day where it was a it was an interview about about brand um, on a podcast, and like he was just his daughter was bouncing on his lap the whole time, and <laughs> that's just I mean. It doesn't get any better than that because right. you know he's human and you know he cares about his kids and the yeah. people that understand that and are able to show that and reflect that um, have the best chances for success. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Not coming across as a robot, it's a good strategy. Yeah. I mean, it probably wasn't. It's not even a strategy; it's just like fact of life. Effectively, yeah. well, it's about- because your brand is who you are, right? It's not. It's not some made up thing, especially on LinkedIn now. Your brand is you. You already have it inside of you. So the more that you can just show that and be honest and be open about it. Now, if you're not a very good person and you're kind of rude, whatever it is, like that's going to come out too, right? And so it's great because I feel like the people that are working hard and are human and are just good people are going to win. Oh, definitely. Uh, what do you think, Kitty, uh, in terms of coming up with ideas, you mentioned a few. I'm curious, are you, uh, when you're working or when you have all this, this flashbacks, um, are you doing like any research whenever you, let's say, you know, I know some people, what they do is they would pull up their feed. They maybe look at Chris Walker's post or DG's post and they're like, oh, this is an interesting point. I have a different thought and they would expand on it or they would do some trend search. Do you, try, have you tried any of those things or... Not, not yet. Yeah, I, so I try to comment a couple times a day and definitely when I have, I think commenting is so interesting because I think a big reason that people have a hard time writing posts is that they feel the sense of writer's block, right? They sit down to write and they just find it really challenging. Oh, there's this white piece of paper in front of me. What am I gonna say? I have an idea, but I just don't know how to start it. That's a lot of reason, that's a lot of the reason why people have a really hard time writing. But if you go to a comment and you just have a thought and you just comment without caring, right? You're just gonna hammer it out and right. tell them what you feel. 
sometimes like the best way my posts come, even posts that I have ideas for and they're in my notes and I want to write about them. The best way that I'm able to get them out is when someone sparks my interest and I just write a comment and it just flows. And so I think to try to optimize those opportunities as much as you can. So that happens in comments. It happens on podcasts. It happens when you talk to friends or spouses, right? And sometimes when I'm just in my head, it flows and I don't want to draw. I don't want to forget it. So I open my, you know, my phone and I just put it down as fast as possible because when you're, when you're flowing and when those ideas are coming, you need to be able to have a way to capture it. And so comments are a great way to do that. Um, making sure that you can capture your own ideas, talk to friends with video, be on podcasts, any way that you can um, make the ideas flow in a more easy way than right. just opening up a white piece of paper and trying to write about it. Do you try, have you tried batching, you know, let's say you want to write, like, do, do you write like a few posts in advance, like for a week or you do it one by one? So I have a lot of posts that I have a lot of ideas and then I have a lot of middle fleshed out posts. So when I have an idea, I'll write it in my notes, just like a sentence or a couple words. When I decide that idea is like worthy of me working further on it, I'll throw it into my running Google Doc of what I'm working on um, and I will start to flesh it out. But if it doesn't flesh out the way I want it to, I don't post it. So I have a lot of half-baked ideas in there. Mm -hmm. I probably have seven, eight, 10, 15, because I haven't been doing this very long. Ideas right. where it's like, I had a great idea. I tried to write about it. I, you know, I abandoned. Or I looked at it and I was just like, Meh, I don't, this doesn't reflect my brand. Or this is- What do you, what do you look for? Because I think you have a very specific points that you want to make sure it res like you, the post meets before you actually share it? What are you, what are you looking for to make sure that that post is actually is good versus the one that's like, ah, maybe not, not right now. Yeah, I think, um, cause I think you, 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 cause I think you were, you were uh, telling me the other day, you know, like very much from a perspective of your target audience, you were like, oh, if my audience actually is going to learn something new, not like just like a small thing, but like some kind of an in-depth insight that makes sense. Yeah. I try to have one insight, one learning. And if I can, I like my post to work on multiple different levels so that people can feel like they're getting a lot of learning in the same post. So, you know, sometimes I'll just have one basic insight. If I have nothing to share and they have nothing to learn, I'm not going to post it. Right. And so it usually doesn't make it out of my notes and into my document unless there's an insight. And then, then the next step is saying, well, I have the insight. Can I make it a story? Can I make it engaging? Is there a reason someone's going to stop and read this? When they get to the end, are they going to be like, I can actually use that in my day-to-day -day life, right? And so um, some, I don't have amazing ideas all the time, right? There's a, there's sort of like a right. one to 10 scale of, mm -hmm. you know, I, bad idea to great idea. And so the goal is to have them somewhere between seven and nine, I'd right. say. Yeah. Sometimes I'll have a 10, sometimes I'll post a four, but I really like to avoid posting anything below a four, right? Because in terms of both the insight and the story, right? And so just to be able to understand the importance of both. And that's what, you know, that's why the best people on LinkedIn right now are just good marketers, right? This is this is like marketing 101. And so if you understand that you can't just have the insight, you can't just have the story, you have to have it all, right? And then on top of that, I'm also balancing what kind of content I'm posting because I have some posts that would be resonate really well with a CMO or a, market, a head of marketing um, or a CEO, right? And then I have some that are more social media manager, content manager, things like that. And so I want to make sure that my brand is reaching. Um, I want to reach both because I do view yeah. myself 
as a teacher and I, I like to teach and help those practitioners and people that are doing the job day to day, but I also want to elevate myself within the leadership levels as well. So if I've posted a few practitioner level posts, I'm going to hold back on a couple of them and then throw in a few that I think are going to resonate more with the senior leader audience. I've seen uh, what Chris Walker does, but I've seen him doing it a couple of times. He would post, let's say, a high-level post, and then in the comment, he would add a post that is even like bigger that would go in depth on like metrics and all of that. And it's such a unique way. I find it's like you read the post; it's pretty long, and then the comment is even longer. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying. I've been doing that too. And right, this is an example of the channel starting to change. Right, that's been happening a lot on Instagram for years. People have been putting comments that are super long below saying continued in comments. And then you go and you read the comments. Right. And so that people are starting to do it on LinkedIn, but it's really just starting. And so being able to see that, you know, I did that two days ago for my first time where I had a meaty comment Mm -hmm. and I had 50 likes on the comment itself. Right. And so that's an indication to me that that's a strategy that I should start using more and more. Right. Right. Uh, You had an interesting thought about, volume versus quality um talk yeah. to me a little bit about that because i think you're you're one of the like you are you're one of the few people who would say not do both but start with the quality and then look at the volume yeah so i didn't start posting every day and i probably won't continue to post every day um in the future i'm, I'm gonna ratchet it back i just i'm so happy to be learning the platform and having a lot of fun right now so i can't I'm a little bit addicted which is a story for another day um but i think you know you have two options, right? You can, you can put, you can go for quantity and maybe let's say you get 2000 views a day for five days, or you decide you're going to post twice that week and you're going to put five, you know, three times the energy into each post or whatever it is. And each of those posts is going to get 5,000 views, right? Or 7,000 views. So you don't have to, you can have more people seeing your content if you post infrequently and the posts are better than if you post more frequently and the posts are not as good, right? So now the best thing to do is to post every day and have the content be really great, right? Right. That maximize your chances for success. But if you don't have any success and you continue to post week after week after week, and you still have no one engaging and no one liking and no one commenting and very few views, something's got to give. You got to change something. It's not working, right? And so Again, what makes marketers great in marketing is the same thing in their company than it is on LinkedIn. It's identifying an insight. That insight is your content's not working, so you got to change it. And so I think a lot of people just hear, you know, whoever it is, I'm not going to say the people's names over and over again, preach, you know, publish, 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 publish. And don't get me wrong. I think it's important to publish frequently, but you have to balance the two. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean, Gary Vee has his famous deck. I'm sure you read it. Like, how do you post 64, I think, pieces of content a day? And there's some great ideas. But at the same time, like, it's... Not um, Gary Vee, though, right? And not yes. everyone's Dave Gerhardt. And not everyone's Chris Walker. I'm not, for sure. And so it's, you know, not as easy for some people to just come up with great ideas and have great stories flow. So you need to just understand who you are. And if you're the kind of person that just needs a little bit more time give it to yourself, right? Yeah, it's it's uh, something we talked about, which I think is really important uh, before people actually jump into the LinkedIn game, for example, or, or Twitter game or TikTok game, is that understanding, well, first the medium, how they want to communicate, 
like what's the format, how what how they're comfortable of doing it, but at the same time, like what do they really are interested in uh, without considering any metrics? Because like the only person who could do what Chris Walker does is him. Like you can't really compete unless you are obsessed with it. And, and it really is important to be obsessed because otherwise uh, it's just too hard and it's too boring. And you would rather, and there's so many competing alternatives for your time. When you're sitting on a Saturday evening, you have so many different options like Netflix, hanging out with friends, drinks, and then there will be Chris Walker thing. And of course it's gonna lose out as a choice. So, so it's like understanding that I think kind of is important, kind of keeps you, it takes you a lot further. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding the channel, understanding what you want to do and what you care about. And, um, I think it's, it's huge. Yeah. What do you think? I, I'm curious, uh, your perspective, Katie, on this, if you are working at a B2B company, let's say they're pretty conservative, maybe they're mid-size, a couple hundred people, at what point do you, and there's always this conversation about B2, uh, brand guidelines. Oh, we can't post it because this is too far from our brand. At what point do you draw the line and stop pushing the creative further? Or how do you look at it? What some of the questions do you want to consider um, to, to actually decide, are we gonna do this campaign that's a little bit maybe uh, off the line that we normally do or not? Yeah. I'm going to take this in a little bit different direction. So I think a lot of marketers struggle at their companies because they feel like they can't be as creative as they want to be because for one reason or another, their brand has this brand voice and everyone's done it for the last 20 years and no one wants to change it. And, you know, even if you have a great idea, it's hard, right? Because you feel sort of stuck in this corporate box. And so that's why companies that are newer or um, coming out, you know, with CEOs that really embrace that, right? It all, it all gets driven from that CEO and from that, that brand guide. Um, it's much easier, but what I, but what I, my recommendation to marketers and what I, I've struggled with this in the past. And I feel like a lot of my campaigns haven't been as successful as I wanted them to be. And you can really only change that if you're at a company that allows you to be as creative as you want to be. And so you should either move to one of those companies if you can, or, you know, do what you can within the confines that you have, right? So try to push uh, as much as you can. But the other thing that I think is more important is to use LinkedIn to, because that you have no confines, right? And that's part yes. of the reason that I feel like I have really enjoyed it over the last few months is I'm in full control of my destiny on LinkedIn. I can do whatever I want. I'm the product, I'm customer success. <laughs> I'm, You're the CEO. I'm marketing, I'm everything. And so, it gives you an opportunity as a marketer to um, to really be creative and push that envelope. And I think any marketer who's not using LinkedIn is missing out on an opportunity to do that because of what you just said. Yeah, it sharpens your it sharpens your skill as a marketer. Sharpens your sense of what actually people react to versus, and it's also the volume versus like like how many emails can you send in a, in a company? Or it's going to be one email per two weeks. You could send like ten posts and on LinkedIn and yeah. get the feedback. Yeah, instantly. Yeah. What is the one thing, Katie, that you wish people asked you, but they never do? Well, what I like a lot, you know, I, I oversimplify a lot of what I talk about because that's how you should do it in marketing because it's difficult if you make things too complicated, people stop paying attention, but there's usually a flaw or two in everything I do. And I think it's what, what's nice for me is when people push back on me and they say, well, what about this? And this doesn't make 
complete sense. And you left that, left that out. I think a lot of people are really eager to just say, yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, but the only way I learn and I push and I sort of, you know, question is when people question me. So I, I appreciate it when people are able to, to push back and to say, Hey, I disagree. Or, you know, I would include this or whatever that is. T totally. Uh, where's, um, where's everybody can find you online, Katie? I mean, besides LinkedIn, which we will link in the show notes. Oh, that's pretty much it for now. That's okay. it. Yeah. I think, you know, LinkedIn is such a, it's a, it's analogous to a company right now because your LinkedIn web, your, your, your profile page is your website, right? Your posts are your marketing campaigns. And so you don't necessarily need to have a website. They can convert right on LinkedIn. So if you think about conversion rate optimization, I'm a marketer. I like to reduce clicks, right? So why am I going to send someone to my website? I'm just going to put who I am on there um, and give them that there. there so go. if you need to, right, sure, have a website. But I actually don't think the majority of people need to have one. If they, you know, if they're an entrepreneur or a solopreneur trying to sell their own services, um, just make that on-site LinkedIn experience as, as rich as it can be. And um, you probably will have better conversion rates. And you could have the website as, uh, you know, like a Squarespace, like a PDF version of your portfolio, let's say, but you're not using it. You're just like, if somebody wants to see it, one out of 100 people, but all the transactions or conversations happen on LinkedIn. Yeah, for sure. Katie, what is the final message you'd have for the audience or anything we have missed in this chat? Um, I am not special. I am just a person that started posting on LinkedIn two months ago, and I used marketing best practices to figure out what I needed to do. So if you're a marketer and you want to be more active on LinkedIn, have a presence, grow a following, it really mirrors real life. It just relies on the foundations. So go back to the basics, understand what works, you know, how to create insights, how to communicate, communicate those insights simply and in a very engaging storytelling type fashion. Um, and and it, it works. That was a pleasure, Katie. Thank you for coming. That was really cool. Uh, that was a great sure. chat. Thank you, Sergey. Appreciate it. All right. Now you guys can be LinkedIn wizards, content wizards, as like Katie, if you start going, you know, apply some of the things that she shared. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, I th certainly did. And go and connect with Katie on LinkedIn because she is, uh, we have a link in the show notes as always. And uh, her posts are amazing. And if you are in marketing and content, then definitely go follow her, uh, even if you don't want to connect necessarily directly. Uh, but thank you for listening. Again, you are always welcome to connect with me as well on LinkedIn if you'd like to. That's the platform of my choice. Um, and I will see you in episode number 68. Have a good one.